From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in Liftoff, Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk games and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. So once an idea for a game has been greenlit, what comes next? In this episode, we talk with Rick Stem, design manager and narrative director at Pickpock, to discuss how things get going. And if so, everyone's ready. Let's start. <laughs> you almost got it. So close. You almost nailed it. <laughs> you know, I got the timing right, but I definitely missed the words. Uh-huh. I've only done it like how many? 10 out of 10 for the things that matter. Because you were saying just before we started that you're from Wisconsin, you yeah. lived in Texas for years, and you are now based in New Zealand. Yes. And so let's hint a little bit. Maybe you can talk more about that as we get into it, but hint a little bit about what's that like. Yeah, definitely. And uh, again, I don't know. At some point, we'll probably want to give some context for Pickpock. You know, we're New Zealand's largest uh, game studio, and we mostly make mobile games. So, sorry, you wanted to talk about the the transition from the Midwest to Texas to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. let's let's touch on that quick before we get into the proper topic. That's a sure. lot of miles. I'm very curious. Yeah. So um, when I was in Wisconsin, I wasn't really in the game scene. I was an instructional designer, which is where I learned so much about design, building teams, pitching ideas, quick first drafts, iterations, all uh, audience-based, you know, uh, narratives and design. That was great. Uh, Though there was a bit of a budding game design scene. Educational games are pretty big in Wisconsin. The university does some cool stuff. And uh, my pal Dan is one of the co-founders of Filament Games, educational games Mm -hmm. company in Wisconsin. So I was more involved in education and theater. That's also where I cut my teeth as a a playwright. uh, and develop the artistic side. And then in Texas, I did educational games um, for a little bit until the companies went under. And then, you know, lacking a game scene had a similar journey to you guys, where there were a bunch of us who were like, hey, we're game devs. I thought I was the only game dev here. Let's get together. And so we <laughs> yeah. yeah, formed a chapter of the IGDA. We uh, had some meetups where we would just, you know, play each other's games or... Um, my friends work in the Cleveland Game Devs Meetup, which is the biggest indie meetup, and we got some um, ideas from them about how to do some things. So yeah, we would have like monthly gatherings, social gatherings, and you know, play test sessions and stuff like that. And then uh, one of the big wins that um, has now gone away is I managed to hook up with Robert Koo when uh, PAX South came to San Antonio, and he was super cool. And he gave us a slot every year to speak and have a local game dev uh, meetup at PAX South where we would talk so and cool. organize people, and he would give us a bunch of free passes for students. And wow. um, yeah, so that really helped kind of get us going. I think the city didn't get behind PAX as much as it should have, but the local mm-hmm. community did. And then um, I backpacked in New Zealand 20 years ago because I'm a Lord of the Rings nerd. And I was like, where in the world could be Middle Earth? And started researching this country. And yeah, I fucked off there for three months, which is what you could do at the time with the U.S. passport. Fell in love with it and promised myself I'd get back. And then my lives came together that way. I got to New Zealand through a game design job at Pickpock. Um, so going from, you know, ed- education to educational games to, to indie games to, you know, full games industry um, through New Zealand. And I started as a game designer, but I originated the game design manager role. So just as I started, uh, the design department was growing enough that we needed managers. We were the only department that didn't have managers because we had been kind of small and new. Pickpock started mostly with programmers and artists making little mobile games. So, you know, game right. design was kind of a new thing. So I was uh, alongside my colleague, Shawnak, who works for Niantic now we were the first game design managers and then as our storytelling arm grew as well um through the work of my excellent narrative designer mike and uh my own advocacy and work we we finally got the green light to found a narrative team so now i have uh four narrative designers working with me and doing our games which is probably my proudest accomplishment uh, is actually getting storytelling going as a formal department at pickpock that's awesome nice nice cool yeah that's a lot of a lot of miles and a lot of interesting <laughs> disciplines too kind of wrapped up into that story mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah, and that's. I think that's important when you think about games too. Games are unique, right? And you always need to think about the player, the audience, the mechanics, the interactions, and that's what games uh, are great at and, and unique for. But yeah, theater backgrounds, art backgrounds, education backgrounds, film backgrounds, role playing <laughs> backgrounds—all that stuff counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also telling that as you were describing founding departments and like. Game companies can get by without a lot of stuff, yeah. which is so so scary, right? Because you're like, why don't we have... It's like, well, we only have so many resources. We only have so many people. We only have so much work to do. And sometimes when you're starting out certain companies, the things you make don't require as much effort in some departments. You don't... You just have people pitch in. And it's it's interesting how so many companies need to relearn the lesson. There's no like Mm -hmm. template to get going. And there's no final form either. 
right? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, I think, especially true of narrative, because while we occasionally make premium story-driven games, a lot of free-to-play mobile games don't have traditional narrative. Yeah. Um, and so the narrative design comes more in the environmental storytelling, in the theming of the game, which explains the mechanics, in, you know, kind of how we place the UI and and that kind of stuff. So, you know, you don't actually do a lot of writing, but more just kind of holistic experiential design. Yeah. Which is its own level of challenge. Yeah. 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 And that was a big part of our department is I, I whipped together this kind of silly narrative test that was like seven different crazy challenges of being like, not just can you write stories, but can you write notifications? Can you write, you know, three word lines of dialogue? Oh, yeah. Can, you, can yeah. you describe a scene, you know, purely in the props in the scene? Uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. Like as someone who is tends to put my finger in every pie available to me. I'm a big believer in using one discipline to do the work of another discipline because hmm. it's like all holistic, it's all the same in the end. And yeah. formali formalizing that is really fascinating because like finding a way to do that and do it deliberately and not just sort of as it happens, yeah. which is how I generally do it. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a really interesting uh, sort of cross-disciplinary discipline. Um, yeah, that's it really, really is. insightful to me. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. We're still learning. We're still figuring it out, you sure. know, how we work in. There's a lot of teams who still kind of think narrative design is just game writing. And they're like, oh, we'll call you when we need words on it. And we're like, no, 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 no. We can we can <laughs> cool. help you, like, figure out how your mechanical decisions and your art and stuff tell the story. Uh, we right. can do it without words. Yeah. And you should. Right. Because, I mean, the player is getting it all at once. It's all just one experience. Mm -hmm. And hmm. I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying, Mark. That everything becomes everything else. It's all the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do without words is a, is a good summary of it too. <laughs> I like that yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our art director uses the word cohesive a lot, and I think that's a good way to Ooh. get at what you're describing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And that works for other disciplines too. Is kind of, I guess, the sort of point I'm circling around, which is like, you know, sometimes you don't, you actually want to pull back on the art, and you want to have mm -hmm. a character describe it in audio or text mm -hmm. because yeah, that's yeah. more powerful to the story or to the experience. But I think that's another thing. I mean, it's not just for. I think narrative is probably the, um, maybe probably the least uh, respected discipline in, <laughs> yeah. ter in terms of uh, in terms of this. But I think it applies elsewhere as well, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes you need a simpler system or a less complicated yep. bit of code to do something, yep. and that's the right choice because of something you're trying to do. The demands of another discipline, yeah, right, that can handle it better. What the field? Absolutely. Anyway, I'm going way off now because I, <laughs> it, like, we're talking about game design is like such a hobby <laughs> of mine. But I think the the like let's get started with the the proper topic here because I think you're an interesting person to to focus on this because because of the background you've just described. Mm -hmm. But this sort of like okay, everyone said yes, now what, right? That's, yeah. that's where we start from this. Mm -hmm. um, so let's just start there. Like, now what? Like, what's the first step? Yeah, so um, interestingly, that I will say that depends. Um, and I'll explain that a little bit, because that's <laughs> yeah. a in, shitty in answer by oh, itself. No. <laughs> but, um, so when you're a, a large-ish, you know, we're 200 people, which is large for New Zealand, but not large for, mm -hmm. you know, we're not AAA. Um, but when you have a company, we've been around 25 years, there's a lot of, you know, we think hard before we green light a game. And so there's usually some combination, uh, I'm paraphrasing my CEO here, uh, Mario Winans, who's been great for the games industry here. But we usually look for some combination of, of course, is it fun? You know, is there a core idea that's fun? Do we have the resources to make it? Meaning, like, do we have the staff available, but also... Do we have, you know, the technical expertise Have we made similar games, you know, uh, things like that? Is there a market opportunity, right? Are we not competing with AAA people in this space? Is it something we know well or, you know, there's an, an open uh, market and, you know, does it fit into the timeline? You know, can can we release it based on the other games we're releasing? So there's like all of those factors get considered when we green light a game. And so, but often one of those factors might be more to the forefront. So if if the thing is like, you know, a market opportunity, then what next is usually is research, market research, right? Figuring out who our audience is. We always want to do that. But it, but if we identify a market opportunity, that might be the next step. Whereas if we have, say, a strong prototype that came out of a game jam or on someone's lab day, then maybe what next is polishing that prototype and making sure it's, you know, really fun and that's there. Or if it's a contract opportunity, we still occasionally do contract work. Someone, you know, comes and says like, hey, we like your game. You know, Facebook comes and says, hey, we like your game Cluster Duck on the App Store. We want you to do a multiplayer version for Facebook. Well, then it's addressing that opportunity. All right, what's our pitch for the multiplayer? Or someone might be like, hey, we have this big IP and we want you to make a game of this IP. Well, then it would be a pitch document, you know, to that company going. 
you know, how are we going to do that? It also might be looking at the team, right? If, if we have all those things, we don't have a team, you know, I think that's something we're trying to get better at about going what's next is go, okay, who's going to be on this and how do they work together? I think that's yeah. something that's been really hard for us because we constantly have projects going. And in the past, we kind of went, who's available? That's the team. And now we've been going, no, we should go, who works well together and has the skills and, and collectively, holistically, cohesively as a team, do they work together and have everything? <laughs> Um, which is something, again, we're, we're trying to get a little bit better at. I just want to propose that I get 10 points every time Rick says cohesively. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I will credit Sarah Dixie, our okay. art director on that. So, Steven, you're keeping track? Yeah. <laughs> and we make fun of each other for that. She says like cohesive once a meeting and I say holistic like twice a meeting. And- <laughs> <laughs> you just own it. Just it's like that's yeah. 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 Right? For sure. No yeah. apologies, for sure. At least you're I, not yeah. saying synergy. Yeah. <laughs> no. So we can investigate those different avenues if you want. You know, how do we do market research, prototypes, pitches, or or we can move on to your other questions. But those are the kind of, you know, potential different things that have to happen. Well, I, I just wanted to emphasize one thing that I really like that y'all are, well, particularly working on making sure that not just have the people who could do the thing, but also make sure that this is the team that's doing the thing. Yeah. Because we're kind of, um, we're struggling with that a little bit now because we're working on a new project and... The Future Club, most of our team works on Skullgirls, but we would like more people to work on this new project now. Yeah. And so, like, we're kind of having to balance our time with, with these two different projects. And we're kind of, I think we're kind of making assumptions on who can do a thing and who should do a thing. Right. Yeah. In terms yeah. of capacity. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. li- and little else. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's harder to, to, to think of it in any other way. Right. Yeah. And so, like, it's, as a result, what can happen is like you'll just get a bunch of people. You'll make plans for all of these things you want to do, but you won't. You won't have explicitly. You'll have told these people that you want to do these things, and they'll maybe be on board with it right away. But they won't necessarily uh, recognize immediately that like they've signed up to do two projects at yep. the same time. You know, so like then they'll be yeah. then they'll get an, end up feeling overworked, um, and then both projects suffer as a result. So I I, I just I guess I wanted to emphasize that because I think that's really important. It's just like starting out knowing who's on the team and what you can do. Yeah. I think is, and is really cool. We're yeah. still learning that. Don't get me wrong. We've right. only kind of just identified that. Um, you know, we we really in the last just year or two converted our executive producers into coaches. So they're more there, more like kind of have coaching certification or just there to help teams work together. It was really just our latest project where we actually went, well, we might not just use who's available. We need to make sure these people get along because we do often find, yeah. like you said, like, oh, this is a really strong programmer but not in this engine or this type of games, or he's a great right. game designer, but not in pre-production or these two are individually great, but have such different working style styles that they don't gel. Yeah. We don't always have the luxury to just pull who we want because then it's going to, if we're taking a strong person off of one project to build a new team around them, well, then that other project is going to suffer. So we haven't figured right. it out, <laughs> but we're trying. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and to be clear, our team is a team of less than 20 and you have a team of 200 people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess it's a little bit different, but the problem is still the same. Yes, yeah, the same. it definitely scales. Like our yeah. team of three is like immutable. Like we're not changing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But we yeah. have to. But we 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 keep holes in our thinking to like we can we're gonna fill it with stuff. Yeah. But mm. what we fill it with is like okay, well that's gonna change our relationship to each other in terms of how we how we need to work together. Right. Sure. And what that is wear. that's a yeah. it's a similar kind of thing, a similar kind of challenge. Yeah. Um, on that same dimension, it's just it comes at from the other end from the. We have to we have to cut more things than we than we have to like in terms of like finding the right fit because yeah. there is we have, we only have one configuration available to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the, but you still are solving the same equation, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm curious, um, Rick. Where so in in my world, <laughs> we have such a range of sizes. We've got three, twenty, two hundred, six hundred. But the bulk of the six hundred people who work for the company that I'm part of are working on courseware. They're not working on games, mm-hmm. and that is starting to evolve as the different divisions that were recently acquired by the company I work for, ELB, have started to merge into one unit. Right? Because that's mm-hmm. now happening. Like, we're all getting the same email address, Ah. (laughs) you know, which is a pain. (laughs) But so um, one of the things that happens in game-based learning, um, because of its, I think, because of its, like, close genealogy and close lineage with instructional design is everything's very deadline-driven. Oh, yeah. And um, that's going to be the case, I think, in games as well. But, you know, like, we got an RFP three weeks ago for a project that needs to be done. There needs to be a pilot ready to test in November. That's nuts, right? Um, and that that timeline impacts really how we think about how we staff something. Yeah, because of a timeline course. that quick, you're just going to grab who's available. Right. 
And if you are the one person who can do something and you're not really available, well, you need to kick something that's low priority off your list or you just yeah. crunch for it, which I'm trying to learn to say no to. Yeah. And that happens when we do it or when we get contract work. If we do have something that's like, hey, you know, Facebook is going to give us money to port it over and we have three months, six months. It is kind of like, OK, who's yeah. available? And, you know, it's it's a it's a finite thing. So maybe it's less OK. I mean, more okay to do it that way, less of a problem. But if we have a game that, you know, might take two years of development and then we're going to continue to build, well, that needs a strong vision from the start and that needs a strong team. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you want to carry that through as much as possible because we've talked about this on the show before when we talked about Agile. Whenever you're reconfiguring a team, you're kind of going through that forming, storming, norming, performing every every time you change it. So, you know, yeah, swapping people in and out, it's not like changing Legos. Yep, yep. Another thing we're still learning and, and dealing with, because sometimes you have to do it because you need people or, you know, someone's just unhappy and you want to support them and move them. But yeah, it's not like it just keeps going. You're right. You get a drop of right. productivity. And well, I was going to say, since it depends so much, yeah. maybe we can pick two of those answers to it depends and kind of explore them in parallel. So like, what does it look like when you have, when you're starting to work on a game that started as a prototype or something that came from a game jam and then flip the coin completely over and talk about the same kind of processes that the same tasks that you need to undertake. But when the conditions are someone's contracted you for three months to do a port or something like that. Sure. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's say we we actually have a recent game and I have to be careful because it's not out yet. We're going to soft launch it in a couple of months. So I I, forgive me if I talk around it or don't have specifics, but uh, it came from a game jam prototype. Uh, uh, no, sorry, it came from a lab day. One of our senior programmers, tech managers, uh, who has sadly left us, but uh, he's been with us for like 15 years. He was working on this on once a month. We have a lab day where you can just work on free stuff and upskill, which is great. And he built this little uh, fun prototype. And it was a little kind of adventure dungeon delve game. And it was fun. There, there was a unique core mechanic twist to the to the combat that we thought was fun and it had a little bit of replayability and uh, we thought it had potential and so that was our step we went hey this is fun and it's kind of complete you know (laughs) it's like the core loop is there and the underlying tech is there and he's built some extensible so hey we're not sure if it has an audience but let's prove out this prototype first so what we did is yeah we took a game jam Actually, let me take a step back. We have two different jams at Pickpock. We have a game jam once a year. And the purpose of that is fun in team building. The purpose of that is to work with people you don't normally work with, try roles you don't normally try, and have a good time. Secondarily, if something good comes out of it, great. That's where uh, Cluster Duck uh, came from um, uh, <laughs> on the App Store. Um, our second jam is what we call the PIP jam, the Pickpock IP jam. And that's where we take an idea that has something, but it needs expansion. So it might be like, hey, we think there might be a market in, you know, uh, you know, India and UK and New Zealand for a cricket game. Your job is to just do market research and see if there's a market for a cricket game. Or, um, you know, we have this core gameplay, say, you know, driving gameplay for Agent Intercept. Come up with a new IP for that. Same core driving mechanics, but different world, different audience, different story, different tone. You know, something like that. I'm and like that's... leaning in. I'm like, is that a thing? Will it <laughs> yeah. be a thing? Is it a thing? That's, uh... <laughs> anyway. Though we have another one I wish I could talk about, too, that came from it, where we had a core gameplay and I was part of a team that developed a new IP for it. And we're just everybody at the company is so excited about this new IP and it's been developed so long, but we just don't have like we just don't have the resources, the business case quite yet to green light it. But it's been the an yeah. IP we've been really, really excited about and has been driving people and we've done repeated jams. Um, and then another one might be like, hey, yeah, we need a prototype. Like we have this prototype, yeah. take it farther or we have a design doc, turn it into a prototype. So that's what we did. We used an IP jam to go, hey. Let's take Pete's prototype and make it a little better. And so they spent a week on it and they did a mix of some research and working and they, you know, added some art in. They kind of used existing art assets, but to put actual like characters and monsters in, it looked pretty good. And they toned the combat and they did some design docs about how we could, you know, add those free to play elements and those progressions in the long term kind of gameplay of, you know, growing and leveling up and making it stay interesting. And we were like, hey, there's something here. We do think this is good. Indeed, this game is fun now and we could see how it could still be fun and we could see how we could layer on social features and progression features. Um, And so that was kind of where we went, hey, yeah, we do think there is a good game here. So if that happens, if that doesn't happen, right, then it goes back in the bin. No, I shouldn't say the bin. That's a garbage in New Zealand. It goes back in the (laughs) filing cabinet, the closet, whatever. Um, and waits for another opportunity, right? It may it may come around again, and we might take a second chance at prototyping it, or we might go do research again. But this one this one worked, and so we said, cool. Now the next step is market research. We think this game is fun. It's not enough. Is there an audience right. for this game? 
Right. Um, and this is also where my role came in in really interesting ways. So that's what we did. We went and go, is there research for a game like this? And we looked at the kind of people who played this genre of games. So kind of light, casual, uh, hybrid, casual, we call it um, role playing games, you know, light role playing elements. Um, and we looked at people who played the kind of core mechanic because we took a core mechanic from like kind of one genre and put it into this other genre. And we're like, oh, what do people play that? We did all that research. Uh, we're lucky at Pickpock, even though we're you know medium sized, we have a market research team and a games user research team and a good analytics team. So we actually have more data than than most people do, especially at the smaller scale, which has been great learning for me, right? Like going from yeah. an indie artist where it's like, we got this creative vision to like, you know, learning how to <laughs> fail, figure out the data. Um, yeah. And so our market research essentially said, this is great, but but the game you have is kind of hardcore, you know, old school D&D hack and slash fantasy skews very male, older male. And the people who play hybrid casual RPGs and this kind of core mechanic you had skew much more broad age range than about even gender split slightly leaning towards women. So we need a new theme. We need to, to market it differently. And so I had a really interesting task in that narrative design side of narrative designer to go, okay, we've looked at that. And this is where me and the art director came in and go, hey, we know this isn't going to be a story heavy game. It's about the mechanics. Um, and, you know, it might be a little bit art heavy. So it doesn't need a plot, but man, it needs a theme. It needs a world. It needs an identity to appeal to this audience. So that's where I had this interesting task where I was like, all right, we've got this audience that we've identified. We've got these list of mechanics and systems. What is a the theme, you know, I can come up with that makes all those systems and mechanics and actions make sense intuitively in that theme while also appealing to this new audience. And so it was a really fun exercise for me to go all these, you know, what about this? What about this? You know, what if instead they were pirates? What instead they were princesses? What instead they were, you know, treasure hunters? And what does that mean? How would this mechanic translate? And how would this mechanic translate? And, you know, how might we do the art style? And then, um, and then again, going, okay, what about the different characters? What if we do, you know, can we take old school fantasy, but just make it more casual based on the art style? Or actually, do we want to move away and do different types of fantasy or get out of fantasy altogether? And so it was this really interesting creative exercise driven by narrative and art and market research, art direction, concept art and art direction, but serving data and game mechanics and systems, right? It wasn't our job to tell a big story. It was our job to go, here's a world where all this shit makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And it's it's so interesting to you you constructed the box around which the your problem solving needed to yes. work in, right? Yes. And that that's so appealing to me because it's so if you are a very creative person, it can be so debilitating <laughs> to to have to be without those restrictions. Yeah. And the more you have, the more confident you can be in the choices you make. Mm -hmm. But at the yes. same time, there's especially with regard to the market research angle of it. Um, which is sort of a, I mean, it's an existential requirement in, in this, this genre, it, but it feels a little bit like wagging the dog, right? That there are certain mm -hmm. things you can't do and, and they're, they're not just restrictions. They're like, they're, they're, they're crossed off the list. Yeah. Right. Um, and how, does that, like, how often do you butt against that? Like, like, Hey, maybe we can forge a new path. I mean, yeah. like you know, I mean, that's kind of a little bit of a movie plot kind of version of this, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, right? I do. It can be a little bit frustrating, perhaps, to be say, well, I guess we just have to do what this demographic already likes. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I really appreciate you bringing that up, Mark, because that's actually been one of our biggest learnings of late. We had a couple of projects that spun their wheels in pre-production because there weren't enough goals and restrictions and constraints. And when the sky is the limit, yeah, it's impossible, like you said. So one of our biggest learnings over the last couple of years is actually constraints are good, assuming you have a good why behind those constraints and assuming yeah. you identify the space that you can still play in. And so this was something that was successful about this project is we went, look, you have to go for this audience. And you can't change this prototype too hard. <laughs> that core mechanic still has to be there. We're not changing that. And here's a basic deadline. It's not super sharp, but it needs to be vaguely in this time frame. Those aren't going to change. No prototype change, no audience change, no deadline change within reason. But, yeah. hey, we have... Totally up to you what the theme and the art style is, you know, totally up to you what the long term gameplay is and what mechanics you build around this and what systems you build around it. Have fun with that. Explore it, you know, go for it. And so the team did end up adding really interesting systems on top of those core mechanics that were really fun and really engaging for that audience. We ended up coming up with the, what we think is a really cool, you know, art style and world around it. Um, 
And so the restrictions and constraints are one of the reasons, possibly the main reason, that this has been a more successful pre-production. That, and I do think we built a little bit better of a team around it. You know, our lead designer and our, our lead artist really worked well together, and we put some more senior people on it. Like, again, it's not always the art director and the narrative director getting involved, but we're like, all right, well, we can do this fast, and, and so we're going to help. Um, so that was one of the reasons for success was those constraints. And we do still occasionally run into that with especially our game designers, and understandably, right, where they're like, this is and fun for me. <laughs> I want to do it. And and again, that's a balance. There's no right or wrong there, right? Like sometimes yeah. the game designers have a point and they're like, okay, yes, I know we need to build out these monetizations and progression systems, but if a game isn't fun, it doesn't matter. And that's and that's clear. But sometimes the artistic side, you know, can be too much and they're like, but I want to explore. And we're like, there's no there's no need to. Like you're exploring in the wrong area. We have good data showing that people want this and they like this and we're successful to make that, there's not a, a good argument to be made to change that. And, yeah. and so you're not helping. But again, you need to define the why. It's like, hey, here's the data showing people like it. Hey, here's yeah. here's here's the tools we have that we think are successful. But then also say, but here is the area you can play. You can't play there, but you can play over here. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also mm-hmm. really important to define that and get people excited about that and go, look at the right. things you can do. Be excited about that. We want you to experiment there. We want you to go nuts there. We want you to have fun there. Just over there. Yeah. Yeah. The earlier you can, def- like, there's this narrow passageway. <laughs> like, get on your tiptoes and good luck. Like, so that can be really exciting, mm-hmm. right? Like, rather than feel like a big bummer, the earlier you define that, I think, the better, I imagine. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. It- and it's not always as narrow as people think. That's the thing. Right, Sometimes right. it's just like, look, there's a room and half the room you can't change, but the other half you totally can change. So, so look at the half you can change. Yeah. I mean, you think of like, I think about this sometimes when um, I'm like analyzing the need for where the game should focus. Yeah. yeah. Right. And um, like reality is fractal. You can go bigger and it's interesting and you can go smaller and it's interesting and you can look at like the the cosmic level of things and that's fascinating if you tell the right story and you can look at the microscopic level of things and that's fascinating if you tell the right story. So what I really like what you said, Rick, about like, hey, you exploring is good. You've just been exploring in the wrong area. Yeah, to yeah. me, he's like, oh, okay. yeah. well, that's how we know Rick is a good manager because he's framing a problem <laughs> for his team in a way that, that can, you know, you can get excited about it. Because if you're only thinking about one half of the room and that's the half of the room that you can't change, that is really demotivating. Yeah. But if yeah. someone can yeah, just say, yeah. zoom out a little bit, change where you're <laughs> yeah. looking, mm-hmm. and then look over here, then you see opportunity. And that's that can be energizing. Also, that fractal, yeah. I think, is such a great way to frame it because it really, that, I mean, if you believe that, and I think I do, that means that no space is too small to play in. Yeah. Right? No matter yeah. how no matter how much your constraints are, whether you put them there or outside forces put them there, there's always space for your for your creativity and for new for doing new things. Yeah. Oh yeah, I yeah. totally believe in that. Yeah. Tweak the number a half half an inch. <laughs> spreadsheets. Spreadsheets are fine. That is exciting yeah. for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like our live ops people are like, holy shit guys, you, you won't believe this. We tweaked this one number. Yeah. yeah one decimal place. And our sales rose 150%. That's something to get excited about. (laughs) Yeah. And some some of my favorite games are like four colors, right? Like, or just like squares. Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's it's that kind of thing, that kind of thinking. But what is, you know, what takes that kind of thinking and builds a team around it is being able to frame the challenges at the the certain point. Clearly stated. Yeah. And understand it and get people excited. I think that's why Andy hired me because, you know, I I, I feel so good. I've been here four years and I'm, you know, design manager and narrative director and speaking around the country at conferences. But I started as a mid-level game designer um, because I didn't know free-to-play games and I didn't have experience looking at data. But thankfully, you know, uh, my boss and and dear friend, uh, Andy Satterthwaite, who's a lot of games industry experience, uh, he's a Brit, but he is a very, he says he's, you know, dour, but he's not. He's super (laughs) excited. And he's like, we we need someone enthusiastic like you. We need someone who can enthusiate, get people excited, get people happy. We need that at this company. So it's like, I'm going to take you in as a game designer, but I think you're going to go far. Um, and so I really appreciate that because, yeah, I learned the ropes for six to nine months as a game designer. And then we had the opportunity for managers. And then I was a natural fit for that, which was nice. So I kind of like leapfrogged the senior position and into manager. But, I, you know, I had previous leadership mm-hmm. experience. But I needed to learn the ropes and learn that. But I also, we needed someone who could excite people and clearly communicate opportunities. Yeah. yeah. I normally start these things, don't I? Uh, it's your turn. It, it's my. It's always my turn. 
We're doing we Patreon. Nicegames.club slash feedback. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's the other one. Okay, that's the other one. Right. Nice game. No, patreon.com slash nice club. You can uh, donate to us because this show costs money. It's not cheap. It's not super expensive. It's not cheap. Well, I don't know. I don't know all the costs. <laughs> I would say our expenses exceeds our income. Yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you can give us some money that will help us bring you the content that you like, um, like these episodes, this episode here, we got interviews. Um, thanks to Max, um, he's helping us book interviews, and that's really great. We have that due to the Patreon money that we're getting. And um, Max is frankly cheaper than he should be. Yes. <laughs> and already costs us more than we'd like. So, yes. <laughs> um, that's this is my like um, you know panhandler version of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Like please, please, <laughs> anything you can spare. Yeah. But there's something in it for you as well. Right. You also get ad-free episodes. There's a bunch of exclusive Patreon content. Um, I've listed those many times, but like, if you like pictures of dogs, Ellen's dogs are on there. Yeah. Um, oh, I should add some more. <laughs> I've got so many good ones, you guys. Yeah, so you get benefits out of it, too. Um, it's a mutually beneficial arrangement. So if you join us at patreon.com slash appreciate it. Well, let's come at it from the other end now. Yeah. So you, it, it, we've been talking about like you've got a prototype and then you have to sort of make it work in the systems you have, define new systems, bring in that market research. But the, one of the examples you gave in your list earlier was identifying a market before you have anything going on. Yeah. So how do you get from there, which can be a lot sort of a colder calculation, to the finding the fun of a prototype? Because it's a different set of inputs that might not be as familiar to a game designer who might be more comfortable starting with a game jam, right? Yeah. But in the end, you need to have something that's just as yeah. fun as when you started from the fun, right? Yeah. And that that is a big challenge because, yeah, thinking, because you have to put on that, yeah, market research hat. And to a certain extent, as game designers, we always have our audience hat on. But but it's more that moment to moment, like I as a player, what do I want? There's a, I think there's similarity and a difference between thinking like a player as in one person in the moment what do i what decisions do yeah. i want to make and an audience like what do we as a broad demographic want to see and that's the kind of like view you have to have so i'll give you again there's things i can't speak about but i can give you a broad example we make rival stars horse racing Ooh. but we also in the past did rival stars basketball and rival stars college football and we went hey are there room for more rival stars sports games and so a lot of the times that's where we go. We go, hey, we think there might be a market for cricket or gymnastics or whatever. Um, and so a lot of that will be like, yes, we think there's a market. Here's the people. Our, our market is fans of this sport. Here's some more data that we think of people who are fans of this sport. Can you make a game out of it? Um, and then that can be a real challenge because your step, it's usually not a prototype. That usually starts with a design document, mm-hmm. right? Like here's a design document of what the core loops and systems are. Here's a little more market research and maybe here's some creative and artistic stuff. And that that can be really freeing or really challenging because if you get too hung up on where like, you know, I don't like cricket, so I don't care about this, then, you know, it can be really hard to find the fun in it. Um, or again, it could be almost too much of a green space where you're like, well, um, keep mentioning cricket because it's a New Zealand specific thing. And again, we looked at it, decided not 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 to do it. But, um, you know, but it could also be too much where it's like, what does a cricket game mean? Is it a moment to moment game where you're bowling and batting? Is it is it a, a management game? Is it more about the players where you're collecting your team and leveling up the players? Is it more of a coach game where you're, you know, or like a football manager where you're also managing the stadium and stuff like there's so many different things a cricket game could be. And again, if uh, depending on your brief, that could be really freeing or really, really yeah. difficult. So it definitely helps to again have those have those constraints. Or just pick an angle, and if you don't know, just go look. I, theoretical game designer, <laughs> you know, and and I focus on mechanics. That's my thing. I want fun moment to moment mechanics. So since I've been given this market, that's what I'm going to pitch. I'm going to design a game that is really fun moment to moment mechanics, and and hopefully it'll fit that audience. And yeah, if it's a free-to-play game, we need to layer on those progression systems too, but I'm going to start with what I'm good at. Or, hey, if I'm a narrative designer leading this, then I'm going to focus on the feels and the IP and, you know, the player stories and the drama. And maybe or maybe not that's right, but I'm at least starting from something I know and I'm excited about and hitting yeah. there. Yeah. And it may or may not work, right? You might do that and go, cool, that's a really strong pitch and it does technically go to this audience. But now once we investigate it more, actually we find that, no, cricket people don't, don't want player drama. They're actually all about the skill in the sport and, and that. And then it's like, all right, cool. Then you pivot and you, you know, try a new thing. Yeah. You just need a place to start. Which is, I think, the biggest thing 
we should talk about is yeah, you start right. somewhere, you try something, yeah. <laughs> and then if it's wrong, you try a different yeah, thing because yeah. you're never going to get it right on the right, first try right. ever. Yeah, I think iteration, I think, is the probably what we might want to spend the rest of the episode talking about. Mm. <laughs> um, but what's fascinating about these two ways in is that it just as you describe them, you really quickly ended up in the same place with those two examples. Yeah. And, and you started yeah, yeah. out by saying that it really depends on where you start. There's lots of different ways. But I, th- I, I, would, I would venture that it doesn't take that long, at least in terms of like a, a mental leap anyway. I mean, in terms of how long it takes in terms of time and effort, it might be different for the different paths. Sure. But it does seem like ultimately you do end up at the same place um, where you are then now considering yep. all the inputs rather than the first one you started with. You're exactly right. right. And I guess it's, it seems like exactly your, right, your instinct is probably to get there as quick as possible to, to, to promote all the other interests to equal status with what yeah. got things going. Yeah, because you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. You always need you know, an audience in a business case, a design doc and a prototype, and then you know, the sort of resource stuff, your staff, your team, your, your deadlines. You're, you're always gonna, gonna have that. Um, and yeah, as soon as the sooner they come together, the better. And uh, yeah, the biggest thing. So I'm actually, here's a potential segue for you. Uh, Enza GDC, New Zealand Game Developers Woo-hoo. Conference. Uh, not quite as big as the uh, GDC where we met. Uh, though I did submit a talk there uh, just now. The deadline's just closed. So we'll, we'll see if I see you guys there. Um, Enza GDC, I'm giving a talk called The Art of the First Draft. <laughs> because I think that's something we've been really bad at. And that's actually a phrase I've been using at Pickpock for the last year is shitty first draft. And I use that phrase specifically mm-hmm. because a lot of times our creatives get hung up. They want it to be perfect. They're, you know, cause you know, even, even in a positive way, criticism can be really hard and people's instinct are to poke holes in things. So they want to protect it. They don't want something with holes. You know, feedback is difficult. If you're creative, you don't want to show your stuff, you know, it's going to be wrong. And so I've been trying to, and I feel like it's really catching on, especially in the design departments and, uh, associated narrative and UX and audio is that's why I say shitty specifically. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, the first draft's job, its only job is to mm-hmm. exist. Um, that's all it needs to do. So, so make it bad. I literally, I say faster and worse. That's my <laughs> thing. I was like, no, make it faster and make it worse. I was like, stop solving that problem because you're not going to solve it correctly yeah. because you're going to find out from research that the audience doesn't yeah. care about that. Or you're going to find out from the artist that we technically can't implement the art that way anyway. So stop trying to solve that problem. Just tell me what your intent is. Mm-hmm. And get it out there as fast and as bad as possible so people can start to identify what's good about it. Leave holes, yeah. you know, go and go, hey, I haven't yeah, figured this yeah. out yet. Mm-hmm. But I know you guys can figure right. it out better. And I think I figured out the things around oh, it. So I'm looking forward to it's that so talk. So <laughs> <laughs> That's something I think I need to hear because I do tend to over-design before I like actually put pen to paper. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I think, yeah, a lot of times you just really just need to just do it really quickly. So you just have yeah. something and then you can be like, oh, this is terrible. Why did I do it this way? But then you can realize that yeah, yeah. you made bad decisions and you can change those decisions. Yeah. Instead yes. of just being like, uh, no, this decision is probably good, but let me think about it a little bit more in another <laughs> yeah. three months. Like that right, exactly. Wouldn't good. you rather know it's bad in three hours than in three months? Yes. 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 Everyone yes. else would rather know. <laughs> yeah. Well, but here, the, here's a really interesting thing is I think that yeah. goes back to, you know, one of the earlier steps you were talking about, Rick, which is forming the team, right? Because being able to design with <clears throat> holes yeah. means that you trust your team to come in and help you patch those, right. fill them in, right? Yeah. Yes. And and if you don't have people that you trust, then that can be really no, difficult right. to let go of those pieces or even just say, I just kind of scribbled this in with yeah. crayon because I know that you guys will be able to help me out. Mm-hmm. If you don't trust the people with you, you're going to be yeah. like, I scribbled this in with crayon, but don't be mad. <laughs> yeah. You know? So you're totally yeah. right. Trust is a prerequisite. And that's a. Uh... Yeah. So two thoughts on that is one, I do see designers running into that. And one of the things in more detail I've had to coach people say, look, be clear. It's okay to say, I don't want feedback on that. Like if someone, and we see this all the time, right? We're like, here's an idea. And they're like, oh, I don't know if I like that character name. And I have to go stop. I'm not looking for feedback on names. It is just there as a placeholder. So I can pitch to you the things around it. So just don't give me Mm -hmm. feedback on that. You know, and sometimes it does require that or going, hey, upfront, I need you guys to know that there are holes. I want you to fill them. Don't tell me there are holes. I know that they're there. So it does take some coaching to get people in that mind. Mindset. But in 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 the broader way, uh, it's one of the reasons that like you know I have these two jobs of design manager supporting the game design team and setting you know strategies for our department and and 
things like that, how we work with other departments, a narrative director, keeping the narrative quality and setting those processes. But really, honestly, my job is helping people work together. My job is helping people build trust. It's it's mediating discussions. It's facilitating brainstorm sessions. It's, you know, resolving conflicts between people. It's it's coaching people on communication and listening and collaboration skills. Like, that's oh, my so job. you're also a scrum master. Cool. You have three jobs. <laughs> yeah, essentially. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're trying to instill that philosophy of the shitty first draft, I think there is two ways to do that. There's the, they say, make it smaller and worse, but there's also the get comfortable throwing things away. Yeah. Because I think, like, because yep, 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 uh, yep. I find myself very frequently working really, like, doing that perfection thing. Yeah. But what I've taught myself yep, is, yep. It, it, and maybe this was wrong, um, probably wrong in a larger team, but what I tend to do is instead of trying to tame that, uh, tendency mm-hmm. because I find that it actually it does for me personally anyway in certain scenarios it does also stymie my creativity and that's just a thing I've not learned to get around sure. that's not like a philosophy I just haven't learned to do that okay but what I have learned what I have <laughs> learned to do is get comfortable throwing it away yeah and so and yes. and, and so I think that oh, yes. I imagine that's a matter of like team cohesion because you'll have people on the spectrum of that right mm-hmm. so do you focus on getting people together yeah. have who feel similarly or do you focus on you setting, because like you say, you need to drill it into people. Everyone's got to find their way to a, re- a result anywhere. Um, yeah. Like what's the easier job, frankly? Is getting people to, to align or to kind of impose a shitty first draft? Because they both sound terrible to the person receiving that <laughs> those instructions. But you've got to do it one way or another, right? Yep, yep. And yeah, killing your darlings is a classic. You know, that's something you'll always hear as a writer and, and it is good advice. Um, the the softer way, I mean, I think it's important and we should say, you know, again, I use shitty for a reason. I think yeah. saying killing your darlings is a good one. But when I have to frame it more positively, I say bad ideas lead to good <laughs> ideas. So don't be afraid of bad ideas. And don't be afraid of losing bad ideas because they lead to a better idea. Um, I think it's a little easier to impose the shitty first draft because I can just say like, look, I want something tomorrow yeah. and I'm not going to judge you on it and I don't care what it is and you're not going to get in trouble and, you know, I'm not going to, you know, whatever, but I want to see it tomorrow. Um, so that's a little easier. Alignment is much, much yeah. harder because because the shitty first draft, usually you can point to one role. Like it's harder to get a whole mm-hmm. prototype shitty, but I can be like, hey, narrative designer, give me give me your crappy script tomorrow. Hey, game designer, actually, can you can you give me the the half done version of your game design document at the end of this week? Because um, that's a little more singular, you know, same thing with concept artists where they're like, just give me give me a drawing. Um, whereas alignment is the whole team, right? And that requires everybody talking again and understanding the restraints, constraints and understanding the audience and and having those hard conversations and those trusts to be like, hey, I don't understand this constraint. And then having the leadership say, well, here's why it's there and getting them on board or having the people who have two different creative things get in a room and talk to each other and be like, where are we similar in our different creative ideas? And And there's just no shortcut to that. So do you find that doing that first thing makes the second thing easier or is that second thing just never easier? I think, I do think, yes, having somewhere to start with does make it easier. And I think that's one of the reasons that I'm in the role I'm in is is I can do two things. Is one, I can get something 80% of the way there in like an hour. <laughs> I'm not I am not as good at any of our game designers yeah. or narrative designers at the final product. Every single person who works for me is better than me you know, at those jobs, they can come up with better mechanics and better systems and better word choices and better characters. But I can usually get it almost there in like a couple hours instead of a couple months. Uh, And so I think that helps people go, oh, okay, I can kind of see the shape of that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So and then they can go and and get it and go, but you know, this part doesn't work. And this part doesn't work. I'm like, yeah, you're right. They don't. But now that they see that those parts don't work, and they're like, oh, I can take make that better. So that helps. The other thing I I think I have my job is I can get people excited. I can say, holy shit, look at this thing. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this fun? Like, look at this space we get to play. Look at this opportunity this is great. Go for that. And yeah, occasionally people are like, ah, I I can't because I have these restrictions. They'll be like, oh, you're right. But have you seen that you can do this? And you know, it's not always easy, but I'm generally about good at getting people excited um, about what they can do. And so I think like showing them, creating that loose shape quickly and getting people excited about what that loose shape could be, um, I think are things that I'm good at. And, uh, and, uh, and, Taking it to that final level of polish, you know, they say that that last 10% is the hardest. Those are things that I'm bad at. Uh, but thankfully, there are other people at the company that are very good at that. <laughs> and I can let them do that and trust them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot the name of the Pareto principle. I had to look it up real quick. I'm like, 80, yeah. 20. That's a thing. Right. 80% yeah. of the effort and the last um, 20% of the work. But and, and, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the value comes from that initial like spike yeah. of of thinking. Um, and if you don't have that good foundation, then you've got nothing. You know, no, no one thinks of a foundation. There's probably some people out there. I was gonna say, a few people look at a foundation, and they're like, oh, I yeah, do. I mean, I'm, I'm a structure guy in my writing, and <laughs> yeah, you're you're yeah. probably managers, are. producers, yeah. yeah. Even yeah. as yeah. a creative guy, yeah. like structure is is the way I approach writing. Like, I want to make sure that all the plot points add up and all the pieces of the world, you know, fit together in interesting ways. And you know, I like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, exciting people isn't actually easy. Part of it is authenticity, right? I think that's something we all need to have. You, you have to be mm-hmm. genuinely yourself when you interact with people and you have to show your own. No one buys into fake enthusiasm. It has to be real. So you have to find the things you're enthusiastic yeah. about, even if yeah. you're not, because no one, you have to be authentic. And that's hard. And again, getting people to understand is hard. You know, you can show them the area to play, but they still want to play in the other area. So that can be hard to bring them along. And then people might get excited about different things and then, you know, misalign it. Or, you know, I was a hard, hard lesson for me <laughs> is that. Uh, too much enthusiasm can really scare New Zealanders. Kiwis tend to be pretty low key. Oh. And uh, I can never not be myself. <laughs> Though I did have this, like, I am possibly the most confident person I know. Like, I, I just, I am who I am and I'm cool with that. And I love uplifting other people. And I, I, I think I'm awesome, but I think everybody else is awesome. And I want them to feel that. But I did kind of have a little bit of a learning curve where I'm like, oh, do I need to not be that in New Zealand because of the culture? And then eventually, you know, I got through that and was like, no, 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 I need to be myself. But I can still strategically like turn those dials. I can be like, actually, now now is not the time. This meeting is not the place where they need the enthusiasm. So it's okay for me to tone it down a little bit in this meeting. Or it's okay to me to use for me to use different word choices with this person who is, you know, very Kiwi and very low key and very the British like, you know, everything is shit. There's that great uh, Bill, uh, Bill Bailey. Bit. Uh, Bill <laughs> Bailey's a British comedian um, where he talks about he's like, I love Australians and Americans because they're like, everything is awesome. Awesome. Everything's awesome. What'd you do yesterday? I, I kicked stones in the rain and it was awesome. But British he's like, if you ask any any Brit how they are, they will say not too bad. It's like, that's the best things ever get. They're clearly bad. <laughs> But they're not as bad as they could be. Um, And that kind of like cultural attitude is something I've had to learn. And, you know, we have 30 odd countries represented at Pickpock. And so it's a constant balancing act to be like, okay, with certain Brits and Kiwis, I actually need to tone it down a little bit with, um, you know, the the Aussies, uh, like I can be really excited and that's okay. You know, the Chinese and Bulgarians are going to be very direct. The Russians are going to be very negative, but that doesn't mean they want me to be negative. They're actually okay. That's just how they're going to like present. The Argentinians are going to be excited and swearing at me, but it's not mean swearing. It's just, you know, them getting excited and... And like, (laughs) I don't think people talk about that enough. Like, obviously, I'm I'm painting in broad strokes here, but there are clearly cultural working differences Mm -hmm. and you have to you have to address them. And it makes it really hard to be a creative and a leader when when, yeah, you know, it could be that you've actually answered all those questions about process and constraints and alignment and all that. And it's just like, Hey, in the Chinese way in video games, it's much more directive, but the New Zealand way is much more, you know, ground up. And there's the, the problem is just prior work experience. Uh, and yeah, how do you get around that? Yeah. 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 You got to account for everybody's like intuition about yeah. how to interact with their coworkers. Yeah. And those, you know, because of different experiences, those intuitions are not always going to be the same. Right. And those experiences aren't even necessarily just like due to different cultures from different work experiences. Yeah, for sure. Just be, I don't know. Like, you, you know. Yeah. 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 All, all three of us, you know, we've, uh, we've yeah. lived in Minnesota for a long time and we but, work differently, too. Yeah. Right. And so we have how you grew up. Different yeah. companies. Well, it's it's another for. dimension on the forming. Right. Yeah. right. yeah. It's it's another dimension of like from all of that, you need to build yeah. a company culture. Yeah. And uh, it just, it, it seems like at Pickpock, you'd have yeah. one extra dimension yeah. in that challenge, and yeah. right? Yeah. I, I am glad that you brought up, oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, okay. Uh, I, I am glad that you brought up um, 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 getting people on board with the idea because just because, like, you know, the higher up signed off on the game doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is excited about working on the game. Uh, and I think that, like, finding, um, everybody finding their way to yeah. being interested in the game is sometimes a challenge Mm -hmm. like i mean i'll speak for myself i'm working on a horror game and i hate scary things right (laughs) um (laughs) but like i found what i really appreciate about this game idea and i'm really excited about this this specific this aspect perfectly said that's exactly the advice i would give you may not be on board with the core but you can find that piece that does excite you 
Yeah, so I uh, I guess that's what I was going to ask about. And it. No, you answered it, sir. You had the insight before you even. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, there yeah, you go. You got to find the piece. You, you uh, may <laughs> not be on board with the core, but maybe there is a yeah. sub part of it that you can get really excited about and make that as good as you can. Or maybe sometimes it's actually it's like, look, we need to tick tick the boxes, right? This this sprint in our horse racing game. Actually, all we're doing is balancing the numbers of the events. It's all we're doing is rebalancing the difficulty. But actually, if I get that done, I might be able to do something else on top of that. You know, I rebalanced it. Now I have extra time. So I'm going to do that. Yeah. And also, I'm going to rewrite the story around the event. Um, you know, and I didn't have to do that. But I can do that because yeah. I, yeah. you know, I tick the boxes I need to tick. And then I put in some extra effort to do the thing I was excited about. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a resource-driven approach to scope. It's like you're not just saying we're only doing this. You're saying we only have time to do this. Right. Yes. And, and so, but let's, we, let's be excited and good, do more. Yeah, if we can find a way. keep to that original constraint, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and not working overtime. I'm just saying sometimes you want to scope smartly, right? You don't actually want to put people at 100% capacity because you know that there's going to be problems and meetings and whatever. And Or maybe they'll find that the problem wasn't as hard to solve as they thought. And, you know, or again, maybe they, because we know we're going to be repeatedly balancing it, they got the shitty first draft balancing out first, (laughs) and then they can do other things, and we know we're going to rebalance it in the next one. Well, that's, that's key to iteration, right? Because you have to budget the particular... Thing you're doing but you know i mean within reason iteration can be an infinite process yeah, yeah absolutely so, yeah so how do you handle that within a particular cycle of that thinking like what's the judgment process of like how close are we getting what are the what are the uh, criteria we use what does that like stem to stern iterative process go yeah and yeah. when do you allow yourself to be like well it'll be done when it's done even though it's the scariest <laughs> phrase yeah, yeah. project management <laughs> yes and we do have those different approaches right sometimes we do say yeah just take the time and, until you find the fun we're willing to invest in this you know this game because we believe in this ip and this team so take it and you know and sometimes that bites us in the ass we've definitely done that with projects and go boy you know actually after a year we didn't manage to find the fun and we need to cancel this so you know lesson mm-hmm. learned um Usually, though, you know, we do have uh, product owners POs and they usually try and set metrics you know the, the way we don't always achieve this but what we aspire to is the po sets the what and the designers figure out the how or the team really i should designers because i'm designed but the whole team so the po says look our goal is to increase you know retention of players who have been playing 30 days or more so people who have been in the game for 30 days want to lift them up or our goal is to get more people playing live events or our goal is to boost sales or you know they give some kind of data driven then they go well up to you guys how you do that Maybe you can do it by rebalancing. Maybe it needs a new feature. You know, and sometimes we do say, you know, we've done the research and we think we need to add this new feature and design it. But whether it's saying like this KPI needs to move or we need to create this feature, you know, well, even if, if you're creating the feature, you're probably next to have the KPI. It's like, hey, we're going to add this new racing mode in the game. And we think that's there because, you know, we've done we've done our market research and we've listened to the community and and, you know, we have the tools and the skill set. So we think that, this will give us a lot of value. It'll give people a new way to play the game, a way for people to keep coming back, new horses, et cetera. But at some point, it's like, you know, you you set those numbers. Here's what we're looking for. And yeah, you iterate essentially until you either see that KPI move or realize that you can't move it. And then, you know, you consider it a failure, but in the learning sense, right? Oh, hey, we tried to do that and we tried a bunch of things and none of them worked. Um, so cool. All right. We, we, we don't know how to easily do that. We're going to try something else. Or again, you iterate until you see, okay, it moved. So, you know, either we can keep building on that success or now we can do something else. Or maybe we moved a little, but we think with another round, it can move more. So it does help to have those specific metrics and goals. Um, Though that usually is more when you have a completed game and are adding new features versus when you're trying to do a prototype. Because then it is much more nebulous where it's like, is it fun? Um, And you can do that, right? We do internal tests. We bring people to play or we do user tests. We do bring people outside to play it. And, you know, we present design docs and we have people with, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of industry experience who can say, yeah, based on my intuition and experience, and based on the feedback from the user tests, we think that this prototype is in a good place. It sounds like to me, a lot of limits. You still yeah. need limits. Just like yep, yep, just yep. find those limits. And I think, yeah, like if even if it's a, just a time limit or a money limit, some form of resource limit yeah. will help you. Yep, you know, yep. just say like, okay, this 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 is a good time to stop the iteration process. Mm-hmm. We can Absolutely, release something. We're confident mm-hmm. on this now. Well, I mean, I'm yep. hearing a lot, like you say, like uh, the 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 product owner who decides the what. Yeah, it's it's not so much. Let me know if I'm getting this right. It's not so much that there's like specific metrics, although it sounds like there probably is in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's just somebody's judgment. Yeah. 
that that needs to determine whether to move forward or whether to call it. And, yeah. You know, right. And 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 that every every iterative process might be different in terms of what that judgment is based on, but it's up to someone, and that's yeah. almost more important than like defining the the actual uh, thing that it needs to hit. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, um, even if you have that metric of, because we will have specific metrics, like, hey, we want to yeah. increase sales by X percent in this area. But even then, right. you still have to go, cool, well, we increased it by 9% instead of 10%. Is that good enough? Or we increased it by 12%, yeah. but we think with another week, can we get 20? Do we want to involve that week? Or, you know, so you're right. At some point, there is that judgment. And that's hard. That's hard for so many reasons. One, because making decisions <laughs> is hard. Making decisions yeah. is always yeah. hard. Even if you have yeah. data, it's so hard to interpret the data and go, what does this yep. actually mean? Correlation, causation, et cetera. Um, so hard to make decisions in general as a human. It's hard to actually interpret data, even if you have a lot of it. Um, and it's hard to do it in a collaborative culture. I think that's the good mm -hmm. and the bad of New Zealand and Pickpock, because I think we have a very collaborative culture and teams do listen to each other and they speak up and they share. And sometimes that can be really great and we get the best ideas because everybody has a chance. And sometimes it can be really bad because you might get like, you know, a junior game designer who's like, has six months of experience and is like, I don't think this is the right direction. And we got to go, well, that's not your call to make. I'm sorry. Like we want to hear yeah, from yeah. you. We'll listen to your feedback, but no, you, you actually don't get to make that decision. Right. <laughs> there needs to be a decision maker. And so to, to kind of circle back between this, um, the product owner that I work with on a regular basis, cause I do a split of projects and products mm. and it's the product owner's job to set the sprint goals. Like you were saying, yep. Rick, yep. you know, like, okay, this sprint, our goal is to do this. Yep. And, what she's doing when she sets that goal is she's reflecting all the conversations she's been having with yes. high-level stakeholders in the company and the CEO yes. and the customers and the players of the customers and so on yes. and so forth. And so we don't see all that because we don't need to be in those meetings. Right. <laughs> we can't be in those meetings because we're working on the product. Um, You're totally and right. Yeah. So that's where that decision-making comes from. Yeah, you're right. A good product owner doesn't just come down and be like, here's the law, right? They should have mm -hmm. looked at all the data, talked to all the key stakeholders from above and on the team and go, right, based on my discussions with all of you and my looking at the data and my talking to the you know leaders of the company, this is what I think we should yeah. do. Yep. Right. It's not their job to be the better expert than everyone else, right? Yeah. It's their <laughs> job to make the decision. And they can only do that with, with like yeah, data exactly. gathering discussions and trust, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Collating. Yep. And sometimes it's just the way it's presented. Like I know we occasionally have product mm -hmm. owners who do that, but they don't, they're not good at communicating that they've done that. So people are like, eh, <laughs> yeah, they just tell me what to do. But you know, sometimes sometimes they need to listen more. Sometimes they just need to communicate better and just say, Hey, I have listened to you and I have heard you, and because of these reasons. So a lot of the time, like a right decision communicated in the wrong way can feel like a wrong decision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Who gets yeah. points for that phrase? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I didn't make it up. I'm sure I've heard it somewhere. But <laughs> 50 points to Steven, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I'm winning. Okay. <laughs> Wait, it was cohesive, right? Yeah. How many yeah. do you need, yeah. need Steven? I need three more cohesives. <laughs> How many more cohesives? Yeah, I didn't say it. Only, it only counts if Rick says it. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I've been failing. My holistic approach has not been paying off in a cohesive podcast. I get points for that one, right? Yeah, you get, I think you get points for holistic. All right, thank you. you go. I got 50 points on my Yeah, you're doing well. I didn't expect so much of this. I mean, in hindsight, it doesn't surprise me, but like, I didn't ex expect so much of um, our discussion today to end up in like the sphere of agile, which yep. comes up on this podcast a lot because yep. I have a Scrum Master certification, which has lapsed, but it, it's there somewhere there in the background. Yeah. My husband was a Scrum Master professionally for a while. Um, and so it comes up a lot, you know, and in, in yeah. these conversations and also, you know, whenever I'm talking about work at home, it's always gets turned back around on me in scrum terms. Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, no, it's probably fine. So, yeah, I guess. But, but the thing is, is we, you know, we framed today's discussion as how do you decide what to do next? And that's really a lot of what agile is about yeah. is how I, do you decide what to do next? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So that totally makes sense. Well, and, I think, you know, I mean, we're still learning it. Uh, just to quickly yeah. say like agile is great and we use it, but we don't use it by the book. You know, we adapt and every team is a yeah. little bit different. And also sometimes agile doesn't perfectly work for video games because agile is built yeah. around much yeah. more technical stuff and it doesn't quite account for the creative side. And we sometimes run into problems yeah. where we're like, yeah. there's not really a good, you have like spikes, but there's not really a good way to just go. Yeah. We just need to, to make an engaging IP in a fun game. And, and so, yeah. you know, it breaks down yeah. on occasion. Sorry, Mark, you had something. 
Well, my understanding is that uh, agile is not something anybody does to the letter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's it's like it's the start of the journey rather than the end. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if there might be scrum masters out there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I think the. I mean, we sort of. Ellen, you're right. We've kind of we circled this types of topics a lot. And I think that that could be something we could put on a T-shirt, which is like praise be to the bureaucrats. Right? Like, uh, explain. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, because like you need you need systems, you need workflows, yeah. and like and right. only through that can you be maximally both productive and creative and artistic. Yeah. And whatever yeah. you're, you know, whether you're doing, you know, free to play games in a studio with lots of people and lots of data and analytics driving a lot of your decisions, or you're making like a little itch game that you kind of know in your heart no one's going to see. Like, yeah. that doesn't change the need for systems and workflows. It yeah. certainly yep. changes the expression of those things. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, like, that, those, 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 um, those philosophies and those sort of, like, the way you set your priorities and the way you um, sort of evaluate your own doings mm-hmm. um, yep. is something that everyone, no matter what they're making or what environment they're in, yeah. Right? Yeah, you need yeah. to, I'm doing critical. a real I'm doing a real summary job here. I hope that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's absolutely critical and you need it and you're right. Uh, but it also goes back to other points you guys were making, and I think Ellen said is, but you need the trust, right? If all you do is processes, yeah. but you don't account for people, the different cultures, the time taken to build that trust, the the way of um, you know, ameliorating those different working styles, like then it then it might break down. That's my other ends of GDC mm-hmm. talk this year, by the way, is uh, it's based on a text I got from one of my students where they were complaining about collaborating with difficult people and I told them all you need to do is people more and people weirder and eventually you're you'll people better and i'm like that would make a good talk and so i submitted mm-hmm. it and, <laughs> nice. and that's what it is it's about going like we need all these processes they are very important but you can't forget to actually connect with actual humans and build that team culture and build trust right it's not a manual to follow yeah. it's a way to get to the peopling yeah 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 and uh i've got a, a what i think is a good story uh, you guys can edit it if it's not. Um, <laughs> that's a great thing about a podcast um, yeah. that I actually I use a lot at work about Agile to get to what you were saying, Mark, which is, so I'm a, a, I'm out of practice because I moved to New Zealand and life changed, but I'm a Wing Chun Kung Fu instructor. I'm a, I'm a multi-level black belt and, and ran a bunch of classes in Texas. And uh, I had the privilege, so my Sifu, which is a Chinese equivalent of sensei, I guess it's not equivalent. It means Kung Fu father. Uh, my Sifu was the top guy in the States and he trained directly under the grandmaster in Hong Kong, Lung Ting, who wow. trained directly under Ip Man, who you might know from all the movies about him. Oh, um, wow. So, That's so cool. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I really like it. <laughs> okay, I have to interrupt the show. I saw the first one of those movies at a film festival. Yeah. And then years later, I'm like checking in. I'm like, what does this franchise become? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of yeah. weird that it just exploded. I mean, Donnie Yen is yeah, great. So, yeah, Ip Man taught my grandmaster who taught my master who taught me. Um, which is really neat because most people it's, you know, seven or eight or 10 different, you know, lineages there. So yeah. once a year I yeah. would get to train with the grandmaster directly. He'd, he'd come to our school and he was wow. doing this, this footwork and I just couldn't do it, you know? And this was, I think I was, uh, I was a first or second black belt. So I was pretty good, but, but still growing. Um, and I was, and I just had to pull him aside and I was like, Seagong, I can't do this. I'm like, I'm watching you do it. And I just can't. And he goes, eh, of course not. He goes, don't be a slave to the Kung Fu. I was like, what? He's like, look at you. He's like, you're a foot taller than me. And like, you know, you're 25 years younger than me. And he's like, of course you you can't do it. Like I move differently than you. This is the philosophy, but you have to, you know, adapt for your own needs. Don't be a slave to the Kung Fu. And so when people get caught up in those agile processes, I'll often tell them that story and be like, don't be a slave to the Kung Fu. Like it's there as a model Mm -hmm. and a template, but you got to figure out how you fit into it. Yeah. And if like the best martial artist in the world, you know, he is like the top guy <laughs> in the most popular martial arts in the world. If he says that, it's got to be good advice, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, we've come to the conclusion that all things are all things. Yeah. yeah. Which is the, the, that's my, I love it when we get there in an episode. It's my favorite place to be. Yeah. Kung Fu is agile is game development is. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I think, I think we made that triangle connect. Yep. <laughs> Well, we we squared that circle. That's a business term. They say that sometimes. No, negative fifty points. Oh! <laughs> well, it's a good thing the points don't matter. Uh, <laughs> he says now. <laughs> You're the last person I would expect to say that sentence. Yeah. But I'm losing in, yeah, yeah, in the situation fair. where he's down. I would kind of expect. Yeah, it. I want to see the leaderboard at the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Rick, if people wanted more resident, more wisdom from you. Um, where can they find you on the internet? 
Oh yeah, I'm I'm probably less active than I could be. I'm I'm a what's the term? I'm an in betweener. I was born in the early '80s, so I grew up without the internet, but I'm comfortable with it. And you know, I'm the mm-hmm. kind of guy who has lifelong friends. The first friend who visited me in New Zealand was a gamer friend I met online when I was in college, and we were virtual friends for you know a decade before we met and became good friends. So I'm comfortable with that. But I also nice. like don't deal with like Twitch streamers and stuff. And I'm like, I don't get these VTubers. <laughs> so I can like equally be like connected and cranky old man. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't have, I don't think I have a great social media presence, but um, you can, uh, but I try and get actively involved in the community. So if you're in New Zealand, you you probably have met me. I've spoken at like a dozen universities, every game dev meetup, every conference and film and video games, you know, uh, I try and get out there every mentorship thing. So you can find me on Facebook um, for sure. Rick Stem, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I mostly just post pictures of New Zealand scenery. Um, Sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, right. Because it's. It I mean, that's your best bet to get here. anyone to go to something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I do speak at conferences. So that's one of the best. Uh, so yeah, like I've spoken at again at, at PAX, at at NZGDC, at GDC, at other things. So finding me at games conferences is great. But I'm also on Discord too. I'm in a couple of different like narrative servers on Discord. But I like to talk to people. So like, if you friend me on Facebook or LinkedIn, or if you email me, which is really easy, Rick at pickpock.com. It's my name at the company I work for, Rick at Pickpock. I'll respond. I can't promise to respond in any given time frame or to give you any specific amount of time, but I do promise to respond. And I do a lot of just chats with people where someone's like, how do I get into the games industry? And I'll be like, well, we'll talk about it. Or what is it like to be a narrative designer? We'll talk about that. I actually just had a meeting with someone from the TV industry about that yesterday and someone from um, uh, marketing who wants to get narrative design later today. So I'm always happy cool. to just sit down and chat with people. And I've got an IGDA mentor talk tomorrow. So like the best thing to do is just contact me directly, you know, like a person, like send me a message or an email <laughs> or a post and be like, let's get on a video call and talk. Yeah, that's great. It's it's really great that you're that open. I, I that's very appreciated. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough to be that open. Yes, to be that available. So it's cool that you do that. I am. That's, I it's am. the only way I can connect. Like my social media presence yeah. sucks. I would not get a job as a as an influencer, despite being so charming. Um, but I like <laughs> that's our show. For show notes and links on today's topics and some of the things that Rick's involved in. Go to our website, nicegames.club, and we will put those links up there for you where you can click on them and go to those places. Cool. We are on social media, thanks to Dale, (laughs) because she posts about game dev resources and unsung heroes of game dev, and that's at Nice Games Club. Uh, You can find us on various platforms or email us, contact at nicegames.club. We are also on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff, including ad-free episodes. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we'll be looking at grind and emphasizing uniqueness. But that's it for this week. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. I mean, I asked the question. It's yeah. Right. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, wait. Sorry. I thought you were yeah. redoing the intro because you were talking no, about no, it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. We're just goofing about it being no. one take. We don't, oh, we don't okay. do two takes. No, no, no. no, no. We just cut oh, things okay. out right. or we Great. leave it in. No, I do, right, I do sorry, enjoy let's... that we, that a, a guest is uh, – we're so jovial on, on air yeah. that we're fooled a guest into thinking we're off mic. I, I enjoyed <laughs> yeah, that very yeah, much. That's good. That's Thank you for that validation. Right. That speaks to the quality and genuine authenticity of your podcast. You oh, you use that voice kit for free. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Put that on a book jacket. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
easier said, done.